So I have a very, uh, very important question uh, that I would like to ask you this morning. So who loves to pull off a great prank? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, pranks are, can be great fun, but first of all, I'm not really suggesting that you should actually go and, and pull off a prank on anybody. But I will say this, some pranks uh, are most effective when you have a group of people to help with the prank. For instance, trying to pull off uh, a TP on someone's home, toilet papering their home, uh, all by yourself can seem very daunting. But with a group of like-minded and self-motivated individuals, uh, you are more than capable of pulling off an incredible and wonderful uh, winter wonderland in somebody's yard. And I know that for a fact because I myself was part of a group that pulled off one of these winter wonderlands. Uh, yes, I was the youth pastor here at Dublin Bible Church. And a few of my, or several of my students and a couple of the leaders, we were hanging out one Friday night. And somebody came up with this great idea, hey, let's go TP uh, Jamie's house. And Jamie was a student in our youth group, and um, his parents uh, were connected with the students as well. So we had a lot of love for that family. And um, so we're like, oh, sounds like a great idea. Awesome. So we go to Walmart, and we buy over 200 rolls of toilet paper. So you see where I'm going with this, over 200 rolls of toilet paper. Now, back then, TP was in well abundance and significantly cheaper <laughs> than it is today. Um, but nevertheless, we bought over 200 rolls, and we head to their neighborhood. Now, their neighborhood uh, is actually like a circle, and it's very dark. There's like no street lights, uh, and there are a ton of trees. I'm talking about old pine trees that are like 50, 60, 70 feet tall, like the lowest branches are like 20 feet high. Um, and their house is actually at the bottom of the neighborhood, and their yard slopes down to their house. So it was a very good opportunity uh, to work in the dark to do an incredible and amazing job of toilet paper in their house. Um, so we begin, and we are literally throwing these toilet paper rolls 30, 40 feet in the air. And you can imagine uh, having toilet paper hanging down 30, 40 feet with 200 rolls of toilet paper. Uh, and we also decided to buy some plastic wrap, and we wrapped the doors on Jamie's dad's vehicle, like around the doors. Uh, now, keep in mind, it is dark, and he goes to work at like 5 in the morning. So when he got up, and uh, proceeded to try to open the door to his vehicle. He could not. Until eventually he realized that there was plastic wrapped around the doors. And as he proceeds to leave the house, he stops the car, takes in a deep breath, and admires the fantastic <laughs> winter wonderland that we created. You literally could not see their house from the road. It was a wall of white. Um, we were so excited about it, we literally called the photographer for the Courier Herald <laughs> and said, left a message, you really need to come by and see this house. 
Sadly, it did not end up in the newspaper. So I do not know if he actually came and saw it and admired our work. But nevertheless, it was a very proud work of art. And definitely, without a doubt, a winter wonderland. Um, so it was a great victory um, for us in a wonderful prank. Now, there are other options as well. There's the uh, pink flamingo in someone's yard, filling their yard full of pink flamingos. And then there's the plastic forks, filling their yard with plastic forks. Um, again, I'm not suggesting that we should go out and do these particular things. But if you were to do them, uh, you would need a group of people to cover as much ground as quickly as possible. So there you go. Stay away from the Davis's house. No pranks at their house because you will be called, apparently. But you get the idea. With a group of people, you can accomplish a whole lot more. Um, now, the same can be said of other activities. Maybe we would consider more positive activities like helping someone move. Some of us know that well because we've had several people move in the past year. And with a lot of people showing up and helping, it was done very quickly. Also, cleaning, maybe cleaning somebody's home, helping somebody go in and clean their home. Or maybe doing yard work, helping uh, a family do yard work. Or something like fundraising for a mission trip, which we all know is coming up in the summer. So we would probably need as many people to help us provide fundraising for those who will be going on the mission trip. So these are good positive things, um, maybe more welcomed than the toilet paper or the flamingos or forks. But the point is, the more people you have, the more likely you're going to make a bigger impact. That's just, that's the truth. That's just the fact of the matter. Um, you're going to make a bigger impact the more people that you have working together in a group. So an impact. An impact is what happens when two forces collide. And um, if, say, two cars collide together, all right, that will make an impact on your bumper or more to the vehicle. If it is your uh, teenager's vehicle, you just bought them. It will make a very large impact on the parent's mood. If it is your fault, it will make a significant impact on your insurance. But what we really want to see is not so much these negative impacts, but maybe what we would consider good impacts. And that is why Dublin Bible Church exists. It exists to make impact on each other. It exists to make impact on our families. Uh, exists to make an impact on our community and exists to make an impact on our world. But here's the problem. The problem is, is our church is full of people. Yes, you heard me correctly. The problem with the church is that we are made up of human beings. And I know you're probably thinking that seems a little bit harsh and, and you know, maybe it is. Uh, but let's just be honest. When you fill a place with lots of people with different backgrounds and perspectives on life and the church, things can become very complicated uh, very quickly. 
And most of us probably know that by experience. Now, a former music and youth pastor of the Own Bible Church uh, said this years ago. And this he described this problem. He said, the problem's not Hollywood. The problem's not Washington. The problem's a weak, divided church of schismed Christians. And those of you who've been around long enough, uh, remember Jared Green and his family and the, the huge impact he had while he was here serving uh, in the church and with the students. But in case you don't quite understand exactly what this is saying, let me help you describe to you what schism means. Um, basically, it's a split or division between uh, strongly opposed sections you know, or groups parties caused by differences of opinion and belief. Um, so when you think about what that means and you look at the quote that he says, you know, the problem is a weak, divided church of schism Christians. What, you know, church splits. How many of us has ever been a part of or seen a church split? That, that's because of weak people in the church and schismed uh, Christians who can't unify on what matters most, and they let the insignificant things that don't matter uh, distract us from being the church, and people are hurt, wounded, leave the church uh, because we will fight over some of the dumbest things and literally start another church um, just because we disagree with somebody. And sad to say, many of the churches here in Dublin have been uh, formed because of church splits. So Jesus puts it this way in Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 25. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not stand. So it's no wonder uh, we don't really hear churches say, man, we're just making a huge impact in our community. We really don't need to work on this. You don't hear churches say that. You don't hear church leadership say things like that. Um, and I believe one of the main reasons for that is that typically when we show up for church, we show up to be impacted, not to impact others. And it's, and in one sense, maybe we take like a Yelp or Angie's List approach to the church. These are those apps that you go and you read reviews on people's services, uh, restaurants, you know, things that people have to offer. Um, for instance, you know, uh, that mechanic's great, best service in town. You know, or, or do not go to that new Mexican restaurant. Uh, its salsa tastes like burnt tennis shoes. Um, now, thankfully, in Dublin, we've got 20 other choices of Mexican restaurants. So you've got options, you know. Actually, it's probably time for either a name change or a new restaurant to pop up because it's been a few months since that's happened. Um, so um, what typically happens is, is we end up silently reviewing uh, the services the churches have to offer, such as, you know, pastor's a great guy, but he's a terrible preacher. Or that children's program, and they're killing it with that children's program. Uh, but they have a really terrible, you know, men's ministry, women's ministry. You know, 
or that Dublin Bible Church, man, they got some of the best coffee in town. I can go to church every Sunday drinking that coffee, you know. Um, but it, we end up reviewing the services of the church. And as a result, we start seeing church as a place where we get, not a place where we give. So if we're going to make an impact for the good of the gospel, how do we move beyond these people who um, they come from different backgrounds? Uh, they come, uh, have differences of opinion and belief, or maybe they have an Angie's List uh, approach to the church. How do, how do we get past and move beyond these uh, these people, whether it's ourselves or others you know, around us. So what I want to do to help us understand that and how to move beyond that is I want to look at two passages in Scripture. Uh, the first passage we're going to look at is uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. And, and uh, then we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 42 through 47. Um, so the first chapter we look at is actually where Jesus gives his vision um, for he how he wants the church to look. Uh, and let me get just a little bit of context before we jump into the passage. Um, this passage actually takes place right after uh, the meal in the upper room. And before they actually go into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays, he actually meets them together before that and prays together um, and that's you know before he goes to the garden before he gets arrested and crucified so this is towards the end of his life and his end of the time here on earth and this passage actually this whole chapter verse 17 is literally Jesus praying uh, for the vast majority he's praying for his disciples the guys right there with him but at the very end he makes a transition uh, to pray for all those who are going to come to know Jesus Christ through the work of the disciples and the passing on of the truth of God's word throughout history. So literally this passage we're going to read is him praying for us. And I can believe that while he's praying this prayer that he's ticking off the names of every one of us, even today, um, that he knows is going to come to know Jesus Christ uh, as his Lord and Savior. So let's jump into the passage. Uh, verses, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. It says, I do not ask for those only. Those are the disciples. He's praying for them. He's ending that prayer and he's transitioning into praying for us. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me i have given to them that they may be one even as we are one i in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me so there's a particular pray uh, phrase that kind of jumps out a few different times. Uh, anybody catch what that phrase was? I kind of emphasized it throughout the passage. It's be, becoming one. 
So three different times Jesus prays specifically that the church would become one. Okay, let me back up just a little bit to the summer. Uh, during summer, we took the students to Global Youth Camp. Um, and uh, at breakfast in the mornings, um, Roger Gladwell, he's the founder of Global Youth Ministries. And probably the uh, favorite preacher of all the students. Uh, can you name me in over here, guys? Everybody loves uh, Roger Gladwell. He's a fantastic uh, preacher of God's word. And a fantastic and amazing, incredible man of God. Uh, so we're sitting in breakfast, and he describes the difference between unity and oneness. I never really heard this before. And so he describes oneness as the definition of it is rising above disagreements to function as a team for a common purpose. And he contrasts this, not, not that it, one is better than the other, but he contrasts it with unity and describing unity as being in 100% agreement on something, such as like the doctrinal issues in the theology that is non-negotiable, such as Jesus Christ is the only way, or you know, the Trinity, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, these are things that you cannot argue over. Uh, these are non-negotiable um, things. So we have unity in the non-negotiables. But he describes oneness as despite there being differences in some of our beliefs, maybe minor doctrinal issues or preferences or maybe type of ministries, maybe things should look, despite those disagreements, we still choose to function as a team for a common purpose. Uh, in other words, Jesus, the one who created the world, knows that there are going to be people from different nations and backgrounds and cultures who will respond to the gospel. And because of this, his desire is to see us overcome those differences and to, uh, to be able to focus and come together on what matters most, which we all know to be sharing the gospel uh, with an unbelieving world that they too may believe in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's Jesus' vision for the, for the church. He prays for oneness. And that's what he wants to see take place in the church. So now we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And in this passage, we're actually going to see how the early church brought this vision to reality, began to live it out, and to show us what oneness looks like. Again, let me give you some context before we actually read the passage. Um, so at this point, Jesus has been crucified, he's resurrected, and he's ascended into heaven. Um, so just a little bit later, uh, the Jews celebrate the day of Pentecost. And on this day is when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to indwell his disciples, to empower them to preach the gospel with boldness and to, and to carry out that discipleship plan that Jesus equipped them for, for the three years that he was uh, training them and equipping them. But what, oh, and, and because of that, we see 3,000 uh, people put their faith in Jesus Christ that day. Now, what we don't technically think about or usually don't think about is that the day of Pentecost is actually celebrated during the week of harvest or the week of feasts. And this is one of three feasts throughout the year 
that Jews are required to come to Jerusalem to actually celebrate that feast in Jerusalem. It's not to be celebrated as individuals or as families. It's to be celebrated as a nation. All right? So which means is that of those 3,000 people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, many of those have traveled from other nations, other cultures, and other languages. Now, they were Jews, but there were still differences in the way they grew up. And we know that because um, the disciples started speaking in tongues, the languages of these people, and they're like, wait, this is crazy. How can I understand what they're saying in my own tongue? It doesn't make sense. These are just normal, average individuals. So we know that they were from different nations and different cultures and different backgrounds. So with that, let's jump into the passage. So as I read the passage, I'm going to kind of bring some commentary throughout the reading of the passage. So um, we'll kind of take a few minutes to go through this. So starting with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the first thing we see is them choosing to live faith together. To come together and live out their faith uh, through the teaching of the apostles, through studying of God's word, uh, through fellowship, and through prayer. So they're, they're living their faith life together as a group. So that's the first thing we see. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, let me just clarify one thing before we uh, go any further. This is not talking about socialism, okay? This is not socialism. Socialism is an ideology that uh, takes from the wealthy to give to the poor through force, whether it's taxation or literally just coming and taking your stuff. It, it's, it's part of a welfare state. It's, people don't get a choice in socialism. They have no control over what is taking place with their things because the government is taking it by force all right, and giving and distributing it as they see please. So this is not condoning or referring to socialism in any way. What it is referring to is, is that these people have come to realize that everything that they have in possession doesn't belong to them at all. That it literally belongs to God. So they are living with an open hand now. So God puts the possessions in their hand, and when God's ready, he'll take those possessions out. So they have everything in common because they know that nothing belongs to them. This is something I have tried to impress on my kids for years. No matter what possession you have, whether it's a toy or a video game or a book or clothes, nothing belongs to you. You know, we had this mindset that I'm going to give God his 10% and the rest is for me. No, that, that's not biblical at all. All 100% of that money is the Lord's. Now, some of that you need to give to support the local church. 
But it doesn't mean the rest of it is for you to do whatever you want to do with it. It all belongs to the Lord. So they're open, living with open hands. And because they're living with open hands, anytime somebody in the church family comes up with a need, they don't have to think twice what they need to do to help that person. So when they see someone in need, it only makes sense. It's God's anyway, so what right do I have to keep it for myself when they need it? Whether it's selling your possessions or whether it's giving your possessions, that no longer matters to you because it was, you realize it was never yours to begin with. So you see people with free will choosing to help others in need according to what they believe the Lord is calling them to do. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So this is probably the one that we struggle with the most in our culture today. Most of us hardly know our neighbors very well, not because maybe you haven't tried, but because they don't really want to have a relationship. They don't care. You know, we're a culture of building back decks instead of front porches. But these people have chosen to live daily connecting with the body of Christ. Getting together daily to go worship at the temple. It wasn't a church service that was scheduled. They just went to the temple together and worshipped. There was no schedule for meals during the week. They just got together in the people's homes and ate and fellowshiped together. It was a daily routine for them. Their priorities changed. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So because of them living out this vision of oneness, the Lord was blessing them and letting them see people daily come to faith in Jesus Christ. So what we see is a group of people, despite being from different nations, different cultures, different backgrounds, living as one with a common purpose. And the outcome is that daily they were seeing people added to the church and being saved. So, in other words, they were making an impact which was changing the world around them. Which brings us to the bottom line of today's message, and that is together we can change the world. Together, we can change the world. So the question now is, are we living as one? Are we coming together and making an impact that is changing the world? As I mentioned earlier, we know that in order to make the greatest impact, you need a group of people to be most effective. But see, there's a difference between being in a group and working as a group. So in order for a group to be successful, it must be built on one essential component, and that is oneness. 
That is, despite our differences, choosing to come together and work as a team for a common purpose. So is it possible that maybe we are struggling with being one because we aren't truly united around God's purpose for us to not only be a part of the body of Christ, but to take the gospel to a dark and broken world that is around us? Are we maybe taking an Angie's List approach to the church? Or maybe we're just focusing on our own interests, whether it's as an individual or maybe it's as a church. You know, for some of us, I know that maybe being a part of a group isn't really the problem. Maybe the part is, or the problem is, is I don't know what part to play. I don't know where I fit in in the body of Christ. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, we think about sports teams and all the individual positions that these teams have and, and how each individual is studying and learning their position to be able to do the best they can in that position. And when everybody on a team works at the best that they can at their position, that team can be successful. We saw that last night with uh, Texas A&M beating Alabama. But we see this in sports teams and people working together to be successful in their individual roles, but as a group coming together for a common purpose. But here's the thing, how can I help when I struggle with my own faith? You know, I don't know where I fit in. I struggle with my own faith. Things are confusing enough just to live a day-to-day life and trying to follow Jesus Christ. So maybe we just need to take a step back, take a deep breath, just relax. Maybe we should go back to Acts chapter chapter 2, verses 42 and 47. Let's read that again. Let's think about what did they do to become one? What did that look like? Maybe we should take that approach so that we can find purpose and live as one. I believe there were four areas in Acts chapter 2, 47, that we see um, the way that they lived to come together as one. Uh, first, they all shared life together. They shared faith together. That was in studying the Word. That was in the teaching of the apostles. That was through fellowship, and that was through prayer together. They came together and lived their faith together. It was an individual sport. It was a team sport. The second thing is they viewed their possessions with an open hand. In other words, everything that they had in their possession belonged to God. It it did not belong to them at all. And because they live with an open hand, it leads us to the third thing that I believe they did to live as one. And that is, if others were in need, without a second of doubt... Or question. They didn't need to pray. 
They need to ask God what to do. God already told them what to do. It was his stuff, so they would sell it or give it to those who had need. And the fourth thing is they worshiped together and ate together in their homes daily. Now, part of what we do at Dillon Bible Church to create some of that is we have community groups so that we can kind of create some of that environment where we can be in other people's homes to fellowship, to study the Word, and to eat. But should we just limit it to community groups? Should we just limit our times together in our homes to just once a week? And it's not even year-round. See, Jesus knew the church was going to be made up of people from different backgrounds, different experiences, different preferences, differences of belief and opinions, which is exactly why he prayed for oneness, prayed for us to be one. So what I'd like to do is I uh, want to bring this sermon to a close with a simple illustration I think that will help us maybe get a better grasp and picture of what this oneness uh, is and what it looks like. So several of you this morning, I gave you a piece to a puzzle. And what I'd like to do is, if you do have a piece, please hold it up in the air. Now, this piece of the puzzle represents us and our lives as individual Christians, okay? Those of you who are around, if you could look at the piece, look at the piece, can you tell what the big picture is? Of that piece. Do you can you know what the purpose is uh, behind that piece? Can anybody tell what the big picture is going to look like? Just because through that one piece. No, you can't. Y'all can um, put it back down right now. You can't. You can't look at that one piece and determine the big picture. You can't determine how it's going to fit into the puzzle. You see, that puzzle piece alone is meaningless. And oftentimes, when we look at our own lives, our spiritual lives, our faith, we see it as, as meaningless. We see it as alone, disconnected. You know, if, and if you look at that puzzle piece, it's a weird shape, right? There's nothing uniform about it. It's got weird curves and lines. When you look at the, the, the picture on the piece, you know, it's got you know, weird colors and shapes on that, and you, know, you don't know... What it is, you can't figure out what it is. It doesn't seem to have any clear purpose. And oftentimes, we look at our own lives and our faith walk as, as meaningless or uh, without purpose, without clear purpose. You see, here's the thing. We are designed to find meaning in life in the context of relationships with other people. Our goals are meaningless unless we are serving along with God's family to reach out to others. You see, when those pieces come together, when we come together, we begin to create a picture of God's kingdom. Not of me or my kingdom, not of you or your kingdom. 
It's not about separating our lives into splintered um, individual quests, which always moves outward and away from the ultimate picture. But rather, the point is, is to draw in together as a family, to become the body of Christ who is willing to carry out God's will, who is willing to exalt God as one. See, we do not find meaning in the context of creatures of the living God apart from God himself. So what I would like for you to do, those who have the puzzle piece, uh, there is a number on the back. And uh, if you can bring me the pieces up, I have number two. So whoever has number one, you can go ahead and come on and just bring them to me in order. Number, number three, you can go ahead and everybody's come up. And you can just hand them to me in order. Sorry, wrong spot. All right, number uh, four and number five, you can go ahead and come. All right, number six. And seven. Um, most of us have done puzzles before. And pretty much every one of us, uh, when we do puzzles, thank you, um, we keep the box top, right? Because it's a whole lot easier to put a puzzle together when we see the bigger picture. All right, 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. Uh, it's always better to have the big picture to help us see what we're working towards. Uh, anybody's ever tried to do a, a puzzle without the box top has probably suffered many, many hours of strain and wasting energy. Because it's always better to have the bigger picture so that we can see exactly uh, what our purpose is. Um, see, despite being individuals with differences, when we come together as one, when Jesus is our primary focus, when Jesus is our primary focus and we become united in one purpose, that is, we become the instrument that God uses to take the gospel to a dark and broken world, uh, we can and we will have an impact. We can stand. We can stand undivided. And together, we can change the world. Let's pray. Father, I know that for me, I'm just as guilty as many others being selfish and 
Um, choosing not to reach out, not to connect with others. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us a clear vision of what Jesus prayed for. Lord, that we can take that truth and that we can make that vision reality in who we are as Dublin Bible Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.